We live in a divorce culture. Divorce is such a hard thing and it's a difficult subject to talk about. But in Mark 10, Jesus spoke about divorce. We need to hear what he had to say. And he said really the core of divorce is hardness of heart. And Jesus is going to address this so we can have illumination. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Would you, uh, would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And if you would, would you stand with me if you're able to? And we're going to read the Word of God together. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Mark 10, verse 1. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Heavenly Father, we just look to you to lead us and guide us through your word this morning, God. May you be the one that speaks in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of this message is The Wrong Question, and obviously the topic here is divorce. You know, when you say the word, it just sounds ugly, doesn't it? It's interesting that as soon as we say that word, people begin to get emotional. And uh, you might ask, why would we even spend a whole message on this topic? After all, let's just you know, say we're all going to stay married and it's not going to affect us and uh, let's just move on. And of course, with Pastor Michael being at men's retreat and me having to do the message this morning, I could very easily do that and say, okay, good deal. You know, he tends to like to leave me these uh, lovely messages to teach on. We actually uh, laughed about it a little bit. But let me tell you something. About a year and a half ago, Pastor Michael gave me the task of writing some kind of paper that the elders and pastors could have and read um, on this particular topic. And um, the reason he asked me was because I'd already done an extensive amount of research. But I went back to it again and, and I put together this paper. It took me about probably four months of study, reflection, uh, 
And then I ended up turning it into an ebook, and the ebook is available on Amazon.com. It's called Broken. Uh, if you need more information after today, because I can't obviously cover all that this morning, but you would like more on that, you can go to Amazon, you can get that. It was really made for pastors and counselors, but anybody can read it, and you'll have more than what you hear on the topic this morning. Uh, and again, you may be saying, well, you know, why should we spend any time on this topic at all? But I think if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning of everyone who in some way has been touched by divorce, whether it's you yourself, whether it was your parents, whether uh, it was your grandparents, um, a family member, I'm pretty certain that there would hardly be one hand left down in this room right now. And guess what? Did you know that God went through a divorce? I'll bet most of you don't know that. Would you turn, if you would, you don't have to, but Jeremiah 3, 6 through 10. If you can find it quickly, just go ahead and turn to that. Jeremiah 3, 6 through 10. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and every, under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet... Her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted. Well, I think if we read that, that alone would deserve our attention. And as I said, I've spent many, many, many months of this. And I, I was joking with Joe Kelly the other day before the Bible Answer Show. I said, I would venture to guess that there has never been so much research done for one message on a topic that nobody wants to hear about and nobody wants to talk about. And yet, we need to talk about it. Now, I'm going to tell you, you're going to need today to put your thinking cap on. Those of you that are, well, I'm kind of that way sometimes, that maybe you like the soundbite version of things, you know, Boom, 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 just give it to me so I don't have to think too hard. I might suggest that you go on out to Sweet Fellowship, grab yourself some coffee and a donut and enjoy it because it won't be like that this morning. In fact, this topic is so emotional that it's really likely that someone will have issues with something I say this morning. So if you do, just email me at pastorbrian at livingtruthcorona.org. <laughs> Now, I'm going to start by saying that I really believe that there's been a lack of very studious attention given to this passage, uh, and it's parallel passage in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, starting in verse 1, is the very same event. And because it's a topic that people don't want to hear about and don't want to talk about, many people will not take the time, and many pastors, unfortunately, have not taken a lot of time to study all the scriptures concerning this particular topic. 
And it's led, I believe, to some people condemning others in the church for being divorced without biblical grounds. And it's made these people feel like they're second-class Christians. And I can tell you that it's even caused some divorced people to leave the church. So we need to know what the Bible does and what the Bible does not say about divorce. And the only way to do that is to study this passage and the other passages the same way we do every passage that we come to in the Scripture. We, we have to take the time, one, to study the original language. We have to put the, the passage in its context. We have to look at parallel verses and concordant verses. And we have to look at the historical background concerning that particular passage. That's the way we study every passage here at Living Truth, is it not? So let me give you an example of what happens when we just take a scripture at face value and we don't apply these principles to that. You all know this uh, particular section of scripture, Matthew 16, 18 through 20. You could turn to it if you want, but I'll read it to you. Remember this? Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth and shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Well, do you know that it was a misinterpretation of this passage that led to an entire religious system which had Peter as the head of the church and placed the traditions of man on par with the scriptures? You know, did anyone during that time stop and think, well, wait a minute. Would God really want a man to be the head of the church rather than Jesus? Maybe we better take a closer look at those scriptures. And guess what? When that finally happened, it launched the Reformation. So it's pretty important, don't you think? Not to just take a scripture at face value, but to study it. Now, I want to be clear on this. Like many different areas of the Bible, there's not one lone treatise that you can read on the subject of divorce. So what we have to do is piece together all the verses and all the scriptures that we have on that particular subject to be able to understand it. Uh, many people will go to the passage that we just read along with its parallel passage in Matthew 19 and then go back also to uh, Matthew 5, 31 and 32 and say, Jesus says that adultery is the only ground for divorce that God allows. And then they will usually add Malachi 2.16 where it says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And so that's the end of the discussion. If a person gets divorced for any other reason, it's sin, and there's no allowance whatsoever for that person to remarry because it would be an adulterous relationship. And I'll bet that many of you have heard that. But if that's true, and if that's correct, then why does Paul say this in 1 Corinthians 7, 15? He says, But if the unbeliever leaves, and that word in Greek leaves is karizo, which means to place room between or depart, go away. It was the word used then for divorce. So if the unbeliever divorces, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound 
And that word bound means literally a slave. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. Now, Paul's speaking by divine inspiration. And he seems to indicate that there is at least one more circumstance in which God allows for divorce. Now, I need you to think about this, thinking cap on. If that is true, and we know that Paul would never contradict what Jesus said, then is it possible that we have misunderstood what Jesus was saying in that passage? Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com. Scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer. And our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. Let's take a closer look at what was really taking place here. So go back to your Mark scripture here, and we look in verse 2, and we see what's happening here. The Pharisees are once again interrupting the beautiful work of grace that Jesus is doing here. He's in the middle of teaching people, and then Matthew's account tells us that he's also healing people during this time. But in order to test Jesus... They ask him a very calculated question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now Matthew adds in this same event, Matthew adds this phrase, is it lawful for any man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And that phrase, as you're going to see, is very important to the study. Well, Jesus' response to them is, what did Moses command you? Now, at this point, they probably think, we've got him, we've got him. He's going to have to go along with what Moses said, or he's going to be guilty of contradicting the law. Well, in verse 4, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, here's where you're going to need the historical background. Since the time of Moses, there had been a debate about what the lawful grounds for a man to divorce his wife were. So I'd like for you to turn over to Deuteronomy 24, uh, starting at verse 1. Deuteronomy, right the very early part of your Bible. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. It says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, Then the former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now, 
You see, when you read this passage in its entirety, you realize that, uh, that it's not dealing with really the issue of what constitutes a legal divorce. Instead, it's assuming that there's been a lawful writ of divorce given by a man, which, by the way, legally freed the woman to remarry. And if the second husband dies or divorces her, the first husband isn't allowed to take her back. Moses said that that would be an abomination to the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me that some well-meaning Christian counselors, when confronted with a situation where there's been a uh, divorce, where there was no adultery occurring, have actually told people you need to leave your second marriage and you need to reconcile with your first husband. Wow. I wonder, did they read Deuteronomy 24? You know, even Jesus recognized validity in a lawful second or third even marriage as evidenced by the woman at the well. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? How many husbands did she have? She had five husbands. So unless you take the position that all five husbands died, which is unlikely, then she remarried and Jesus said, Woman, you've had five husbands. He didn't say anything about that not being valid. The only thing really invalid was the fact that she was living with one that was not her husband. Remember that? Now, we don't have the actual occasion or words uh, when Moses originally gave this permission, this writ of divorce. But nevertheless, we realize that it was granted. And so why did Moses give this permission. That's the question they asked. And Jesus says here in Mark, it was because of the hardness of men's hearts. The hardness of men's hearts. You see, what was happening at the time of Moses was the Hebrew men were like um, the men of all the other Middle Eastern cultures. They would divorce their wives basically for any reason they felt like, and they would remarry. And there was no legal paperwork required for them to do that. In fact, some scholars say, many scholars say, that all they would have to do is say, I divorce you three times, and that was it. That was the deal. One, two, three, you're out of here. You see, women at the time had very few rights and protections. They did have some, biblically, but very few. And they were basically treated like property. If you want to read about that, read all of Deuteronomy 22 through 24, I suggest that to you anyway. So Moses here was doing the women a huge, huge favor. He was requiring or permitting, it says it both ways, so I'm not gonna debate about which it is, but there was allowance for a legal document of divorce that the man would have to give to the wife. That way the woman could have proof that she had been released from her marriage vows by her husband and they were free to remarry. Now this was critical for the women of that time because without the ability to remarry, they really had very little means of being able to take care of themselves. Now if they were divorced, they might get returned back the bride price which their father had kept for them. Again, you'll have to read the book if you want more information on that. But then that was it. They had very little way to take care of themselves. You remember the story of Ruth? Do you remember when Ruth and Naomi came back? 
to the land, what did they have to do in order just to have enough to eat? They had to go and glean the fields for their food. So you see how difficult it was for the woman at this time. Now, what was the requirement for this husband to write this writ of divorce? Well, it said in the verses that we read, he must have found some indecency in his wife. Now, there was confusion about this word indecency. The word in Greek was erva. It's been translated in most of the versions that you'll read. You might have had it indecency or yours might have said uncleanness. We mostly use that word uncleanness. So indecency or uncleanness. But there's still to this day uncertainty over what that word really, really means. What is the indecency? What is the uncleanness? But I think that most Hebrew scholars would agree with this statement that I read in one of the commentaries. It says that the most obvious literal translation of ervat davar, now that mean, that's two words, ervat mean unclean, davar the word, it really means the nakedness of a word. And the obvious meaning of that would be the nakedness, meaning the shame or dishonor, because that's what it meant, uh, of one of God's words or commandments. And that was the way that they kind of looked at it. So the nakedness of a word, in other words, the shame or dishonor of one of God's commandments. Now that's different than probably what we used to think of that. It also means the nakedness of a matter or of a cause, exposing a matter, exposing a cause. I told you, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on today. Now at the time of Jesus, it seemed that the term could mean pretty much anything. Many looked at it as sexual unfaithfulness, either in the betrothal stage. Remember in a Jewish marriage that they were betrothed for up to a year first. It was the same as being married, except the marriage hadn't been consummated yet. And of course, in order for that marriage to break, there would have to be a divorce or death. So either in the betrothal stage or after consummation. Now, when you really think about it, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever for it to be just a sexual infidelity. Why? Well, think back. And again, go back to Deuteronomy. In the case of sexual infidelity, the punishment was death. There was no need for divorce. The punishment for any kind of sexual infidelity outside of that marriage was death. So why would they need that to be one of the causes of divorce. Now, let's fast forward back to our passage. This issue of what the word erva uh, meant was taken up by the rabbis. And um, men who wanted to divorce their wives would basically take their case to the rabbis. The rabbis at that time you know, somewhat acted like as a pastor and a counselor, but they also were the judge of many of these cases of whether the request was a legitimate request or not. So they'd take their case to the rabbis. Well, at the time of Jesus, there was two rabbinical schools of thought on this matter. One school was the Hillel uh, school, and the Hillel taught, he was the more liberal one, he said it basically means almost anything. It could be just the lack of keeping a clean home. Or it could just mean burning the dinner. 
That was erva. That was unclean. Now, the other school was the school of Shammai. It was the stricter school. Shammai taught that it meant only sexual infidelity, probably during the betrothal stage. And if you look back at Deuteronomy 22 later on, uh, look at, and write this down for your notes, 22, 13 through 30, and that describes the trial of the virginity cloth. I would suggest that you don't do that till a little while after uh, lunch. Uh, it's not really fun to read. But it also applied to adultery committed after consummation of the marriage. Now, this latter school of thought, Shammai, yes, it seems stricter, and you go, well, I think I'd be in that school, but remember, it's really curious because why would that be the case when the death penalty was in effect? And you can find that in Deuteronomy 22, 20, and 21. Well, some scholars say that it's because the death penalty um, had been dispensed with for this offense. But that's not accurate. It's not correct. The law was still in effect. Now, we know that by two situations in the New Testament that the law was still in effect. Let's think back here. Remember the woman caught in adultery? She was brought before Jesus to determine whether or not she should be what? Stoned to death. So the death penalty was still in effect. Hey folks, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about our store at walkintruth.com. If you click on the store, we have a number of products up there. They're teaching products, DVDs, CDs, books that are available, all to help your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you purchase a product at our store at walkintruth.com, you help us pay for radio airtime and you partner with us and it's a blessing in both directions. So check it out today. Go to the store, walkintruth.com. Click on it. Click on the store. You'll see a number of different products. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the store today and it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you and we'll catch you next time on the broadcast. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith, turning away from our sin, which is repentance. It literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek, which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.